0: Hello, and welcome to the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me is Nate. What's up, Nate? Hello, how's it going?
1: This is the first time you and I have recorded together in person, despite having, I think 2018 was the first year I did any kind of guest appearance on your show. So this would be, certainly it was not until, you know, like, well, it would have to have been 2018 or 2019. So it's been almost five years that we've been podcasting. We've never been on an episode in person recording together.
0: Yeah. Uh, and this is the first time the show's ever been recorded in an actual recording studio. <laughs> so Joe is in London and I've um, brought him over to the studio we use for
1: Trash Future and other podcasts. You may recognize the sound of these microphones from the periodic recordings I've done for Hell of Away, Way where you're like, oh, yep, it must be in the studio. There's not like the sound of a fan or the sound <laughs> of a British guy yelling about the bins in the background. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, brought Joe in, and we have a proper, professional studio recording for once in our goddamn lives. Yeah, I, I feel kind of uncomfortable in this
0: situation. <laughs> I, I've, over the years, it's been almost—it's almost five years the show's been going on, and during that time, there has been—we've uh, been recording on like uh, a desk in person with uh, Nick and I. One time while recording, my roof exploded and water started leaking on him from my air Jesus. conditioning system. Thankfully, my computer where I was reading from was on the other side of the table. And then for the years after that, my desk was a beer pong table.
1: Yep. <laughs> I remember hearing about the beer pong table. Yep. You guys basically used to record Brown Out every single episode. And then, <laughs> for then, like the first 50, I'd say. Yeah. And then you you guys, you went to establishment, you got serious, you, you polished up the podcast. And now look at you, you're in a in a studio in London. And that sounds so exotic. And you know professional until you're like, no, it's it's the studio where they write songs about honkball hoop the classic.
0: <laughs> I noticed I was sitting next to a drum set. I was like, this must be where this is recorded yeah. at.
1: It wasn't actually in here. It was two two studios ago. We kinda of moved around. We finally found like a long term location. And so now we can record drums without either uh, getting kicked out of the co-working space or Milo's neighbors yelling at us. So this is
0: good. The idea of you recording fake Dutch pop music in a co-working space is fucking incredible.
1: Yeah, in the middle of 2020 when like everything was closed. Yes, we we spent like 25 hours recording the song and like 20 minutes doing the skit because like it was we had to teach ourselves audition or um, Ableton and it just took so fucking long. But you know what? It's all part of the history that's led to us being in this very nice, quiet, if I do say so myself, because yeah. I fucking hung all these panels with Milo. <laughs> Space.
0: And this is the first time i have recorded with anybody since uh, Nick was disappeared by unknown people. Yeah. RIP, <laughs> Nick. We miss you, buddy. Yeah. Please come home safe. <laughs> so I figured it'd be a good time. Actually, I didn't figure this is Nate's idea, because um, uh, I have like five scripts done, and I'm just going to let him pick. The topic that he wants. So I can't, I can't be like, I figured this would be a good time to talk about the Bay of Pigs invasion. Uh, but sure, it's a good time to talk, to, talk about the Bay of Pigs invasion. Um, I feel like this has been requested a thousand times over the years. Um, and I finally got around to doing it not that long ago. And I figured it'd be a good time to do that while in the TF, uh, the TF bunker here in london
1: yeah i think it would be a great idea to talk about the bay of pigs with uh me someone who works for the cia uh, uh, i've every, also
0: been accused of working for the cia say, as everyone
1: everyone knows one thing that i do find very funny about it i mean like online shit's gonna be online shit and i don't really get bent out of shape about it but my friends who are still in the military or still work for the government now have to basically report me as one of their foreign contacts <laughs> because for when they do their periodic reinvestigation for their security clearances, because I'm a British citizen, like I am one of their foreign contacts now. Oh, that's incredible! So it's just very funny, like the perception, like, like Nate doing CIA work for the CIA. And it's like, no, I'm just, I'm a dickhead in London that people know that was in the army eight, almost nine years ago.
0: I've been accused of being a CIA uh, uh, source of some kind because I work with Robert Evans from time to time. I was like, ah, yes, all CIA agents uh, maintain a Patreon account.
1: there's a part of me that thinks that when it comes to this sort of a thing that like, well, as we'll get into in this episode, I feel as though there's while the CIA has obviously disrupted a lot of things and has had, especially in middle mid century, 20th century, we're quite heavily involved in just about everything. There's also a degree to which when you say, I think this person works for the CIA, you're kind of implicitly saying, I think this person sucks at their job. Yes. And we're going to get into that because this is a story of uh, everybody hoodwinking everybody until bullets were literally flying.
0: Yeah. Um it, that's one thing that I've always tried to push back on uh in this show is that like this uh concept that any intelligence service is this like omnipotent evil force which like obviously they're fucking awful. But like they're also universally evil isn't in question is yeah. the omnipotence. Yeah. That's the problem. The, even the com- the basic level competence of the CIA especially in the, in virtually any time we've ever talked about that, every time we've talked about the KG Bay fucking uh, i think we've talked about french intelligence before when it came to emperor Bokassa, like all these guys are dumb as hell they just have a huge budget to be as dumb as they've ever been in their life
1: and depending on what country you're in they also have an unlimited budget for like leather jackets and breaking knee hammers like (laughs) and so yes there is a degree to which like they get stuff done at like the sort of like street thug level because they're just constantly breaking people's knees yeah but like the degree to which some of this stuff kind of, like you said, like uh, there's a perception of it that implies omnipotence when like, if, if the CIA were omnipotent, they would have, uh, they would have found
0: smarter Cuban exiles, yeah, but they didn't. Or, uh, you know, uh, guys who didn't, I don't know, maybe know how to use a radio system and Shanghai people have detention facilities, but this is all things we're going to talk about here. It's like, listen, Sam Giancana, we need you to read the AAR. Okay. (laughs) Now, I think it'd be fair, uh, safe to say that the United States and Cuba have one hell of a long history together. Uh, virtually all of it, okay, all of it has to do with the U.S. wanting to take it over, yes. taking it over, giving it up, taking it over again, and then attempting to control it from outside pretty much since the dawn of the United States. Yes. Um, we still
1: cut checks to the Cuban government for like an agreed upon amount of like, I think like $10 or $100 a month for Guantanamo Bay, and, yes. and they just never cash them.
0: I like to think that there's like a drawer somewhere in the president of Cuba's office where just uncashed. Un- checks from the u.s government but they're they all amount to like maybe ten thousand dollars
1: yeah like it's not very much money because it's an agreed upon sum from like roosevelt era like 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 teddy roosevelt era but um
0: Yeah it's from the spanish uh, american war which we did do a series on if you want to go listen about more fucked up shit that the u.s did with cuba go go oh and also how teddy roosevelt completely lied about his military history go listen to that series there's a lot of fun um now, those three episodes pretty much only bring us to what I think could be considered the beginning of U.S. fuckery on the island, because before then, it was quite minimal. Um, and this episode is when it, it really, really picks up.
1: So we have to learn about a guy named Fulgencio Batista. We
0: sure do. Um, now, the Bay of Pigs has its roots, of course, in the Cold War, but but just saying that is very simplistic. In reality, while, well, of course, the Cold War capitalism versus communism thing had a, had a part in it, the U.S.'s Bay of Pigs quest really goes all the way back to US involvement in Cuban affairs beginning in the late 19th century. And this isn't an exhaustive history of pre-revolution Cuba. There's probably an entire podcast out there that does that. Consider this a speed run to Batista. Uh, cuz that's that's really the guy we have to talk about. Uh Valencio Batista who was a guy who educated in an American Quaker school uh, before getting into the Cuban military. Now in, in 1933 Batista and several others launched the Sergeant's Revolt. Uh, to overthrow the, uh, the president at the time, uh, Gallardo Machado, who had developed a fun pastime of murdering most of his political opponents, which Batista himself had become quite fond of in the future. Um, now, the sergeant's revolt led to a short 100-day period of government that was run by five different presidents who were all supposed to work together. As you can imagine, they didn't work great. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like it's not going to work. Um, this period of the five presidents was like the tail end of that hundred days, and the five presidents lasted five whole days, or one day per president. Um this led to a guy named Ramon Gao taking charge. And this would again only last about a hundred days, as Gao did something that if you are putting together a government of a revolutionary government the smoldering ruins of an old state, there's one thing that you really well, I'll say there's two things you really don't want to do. You don't want to fuck with the money, you don't want to piss off the guys with all the guns. He did both of that. He pissed off the military and was also hilariously corrupt. As the Cuban government tried and failed to slap together a functioning state, the military began to get pissed that their salaries were simply not being paid, and a lot of occasions the garrisons or soldiers were were not being supplied with food. But the main driving force of this, of course, because the rank and file very rarely lead a coup. I mean, a great example is like the Carnation Revolution in Portugal. That was mostly rank and file soldiers. Um, But the main nail in the coffin for Gao was that senior officers had been passed over for promotions. Ah. (laughs) Isn't it a shame when that happens? Uh, So, yeah, uh, you have the pissed off guys who are hungry and not getting paid. But more importantly, you now have the organizational structure of the military that's also pissed off in the form of staff officers mad they didn't get to pin some more shit on their uniform. Now, these angry officers gathered these angry men, mostly around Batista. Batista also happened to be in close communication with U.S. Envoy Sumner Wells, who supported him in a soft military coup. And there's actually quite a bit of debate if Wells is actually even talking to the U.S. government about this at the time, or if he was just kind of freebooting it. Free freewheeling. I <laughs> yeah. love it. Uh, it's, it's, both are very possible. The, the U.S. has a long history of
1: stuff like that, where just like whether it's a government envoy or just a guy basically engineering to bring a new government into power or to bring a government in Central America or Latin America into the U.S. orbit. In the nineteenth century they called these guys um filibusters. They were yeah. people who would go and literally like try to take over countries themselves with, you know, like, like like a militia they've raised and things along those lines. But this sort of a thing of kind of like like freewheeling, yeah, as you just described it, freebooting this sort of stuff, pretty common. And I think especially in that era, the idea of like a guy who's a political appointee because he's like, you know, you know, riding the coattails of someone because like he made, you know, donations for the from the chock full of nuts coffee company to someone's <laughs> fucking Senate campaign yeah. like is now basically like the the point man on whether or not a new government is going to form on a, a Caribbean island.
0: Yeah. And I mean, his name is Sumner Wells and I didn't do a lot of research into him, but he feels like a guy who wears a bow tie constantly. It makes you think it's going to be a guy who speaks <laughs> a little bit like this. <laughs> I'm only a simply country U.S. envoy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, When it's two last names and it's before 1975, chances are really good. (laughs) The
0: man's family has slavery wealth. That's just the way that it works. And I mean, his first name is Sumner. That like that's a weird name from a guy coming from the U.S. Uh, I mean, my
1: name's Appomattox (laughs) Perkins.
0: (laughs) Let me tell you about the war of Northern aggression. God. That guy is now governor of Texas. Yeah, exactly. That guy That guy really believes CRT is a threat to the American way of life. Someone in that family will be on the Supreme Court one day. <laughs> uh, or he will be at the next Duke lacrosse scandal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so we're not really sure. I mean, of course, the U.S. at some point openly begins working with Batista. But most of that is when it's clear that his coup is going to work. And then when he comes to power, it really feels like Sumner Wells is like, it's like he he did a startup, but for a coup. And then he got like, you know, funding from the U.S. government later down the line. Um, now, Batista was uh, uh, promoted by Gao at the time, uh, who tried to keep him around, uh, like trying to like uh, kind of smooth everything over. Uh, but it was very clear to everybody that Batista in command of the military had all of the power on the island. And after this, Sumner Wells and Batista forced Gao to resign and a series of other presidents came into power. Most of them did nothing because Batista, again, was like shadow president. Uh, he held the reins of power behind the scenes until around 1940. when He finally gave up all pretense and became president himself in a quote unquote election. Uh, ah. It was, quite, it was a, quite a fucked up election. It seemed to be very corrupt. Um, now, somewhat ironically, however, because of how fucked up the series of presidents have been, and Gal before him. The the country was not working. Everybody was terrifically corrupt. The Communist Party of Cuba supported Batista's election into power. Uh, whoops. I call it being an accelerationist. <laughs> Look, credit where credit's due. They realized their mistake and got rid of him later.
1: I was going to say, I mean, they're like, he needs to fuck things up enough so that we can get more popular support. And the only way to do that is for us to support him. So... We are team Batista now. I mean, I know that's not actually the case because in fact, like when, uh, when the insurgency against Batista actually began to gain steam, like there was a significant amount of repression. So it's not as if it was like hand in glove. There was, there was a lot of political violence. Um, but it is just very funny because yeah, there's an extent to which that sounds ridiculous on paper, but also like the, the situation of the communist party of Cuba in 1940, versus
0: 1959 is oh, significantly different, different. yeah, yeah exactly. it's, a, it's a it's a different party in all, all it's together it's also was
1: a huge thing that's different too and we'll get into this i don't want to take away from you is that the situation as regards communist parties in latin america being on the radar of uh people like sumner wells among yeah. other people is very different in 1940 versus in 1945 oh 1949 yeah. especially yeah this uh, is i mean yeah.
0: world war Two hasn't ended yet. There's no red scare in the West yet. Yeah. There's no Cold War yet. There's definitely a
1: shitload of anti-communist sentiment in America, but like it's nowhere oh, yeah. near official policy, like to the degree that it's going to be in just a few years. But then certainly when China, when uh Mao Zedong takes over in China, and certainly when um China or the Russians uh,
0: deploy their first nuclear weapon. Yeah.
1: That's when America goes fucking psychotic about it. Yeah,
0: of it. course. So like nineteen forty Communist Party of Cuba, the US doesn't really give a fuck about them. Um, and, and more specifically, like the, the country simply wasn't working and this, I mean, they haven't, this is like, like we've pointed out a much different communist party. They had not decided that armed revolution was the only way to succeed, you know, and they're like, Batista cannot be worse than everybody else. Of course they would end up being wrong, but Hey, that happens to the best of us. Like, whoops, guys, we fucked up. We're going to fix this. I'm going to go talk to my uncle Kalashnikov and we'll figure out a way to Yeah, there's a relatively similar
1: situation in Nicaragua that happens with Somoza where it's like Somoza Sr. is Like, well, yeah, bad fuck shit, but nobody can be worse. And it's like, oh yeah, somebody can actually be worse than him, his son. Kind of <laughs> like, and eventually that leads to uh, a, a socialist revolution in Nicaragua. So like, this is a common thing, but like, once again, you're kind of, the events we're talking about kind of like are bestride two different eras because pre-World War II, America is just sort of like, alternating between just like full bore invasions occupations and like regime change in latin america or specifically in the caribbean but or really all of latin america yeah and then also being like oh no we don't have a budget fuck everything we're gone (laughs) do your own shit united fruit company please govern this country yeah like it's 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 this weird pendulum swing
0: i really liked uh like we did a series on the the american filipino war the uh, spanish american war and uh you know the uh, moral rebellion and stuff like that and it was very interesting seeing that the U.S. was dead set on starting an empire, but they didn't really want to like. But we don't really want to build an army. We're still going to use volunteer detachments from like fucking Nebraska or whatever. My, yeah, <laughs> I'm actually my my great
1: grandfather was an engineer officer in in the Moral Rebellion uh, from yeah. fucking Mississippi. Yeah. So like, how he got there, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, it, it was like the I think the, just about the first shots of like the, the U.S.'s war in the Philippines. I've taken was like some teenager from nebraska who called a filipino the n-word Fuck. <laughs> it's like, it, like we just think course. it's a greeting where i'm from <laughs> shit yeah, we call everything that isn't corn the n-word <laughs> um, nebraskans listen to this episode and be like we've, we've changed god damn it <laughs> we've reformed all right like no state gets away scot-free from this fucking show no, no state no. no country
1: well i think it also helps that like we will be the first to shit on our home states like oh, constantly you, you you for michigan me for indiana like let's be real
0: yeah, the only thing uh, lower than Michigan's Ohio.
1: Yeah, Ohio does fucking <laughs> suck
0: really bad. Yeah, fuck and, Ohio. And it's
1: just, yeah, we'll talk about that later.
0: <laughs> now, uh, Batista stayed in power for uh, several years. And uh, during that time, he was more corrupt than anybody else. Uh, turned into something of a mafia down, which we'll talk about in a little bit later. Uh, and he eventually named a successor and then left office. But he retained command of the military. So he's still in office. Um, that went last after being out of power for a little bit. He decided that, you know, only being the shadow president isn't good enough for me. So he's going to make a comeback in 1952 and run for president again. Uh, However, during the course of the campaign, it was going quite bad for him. Um, And even though elections weren't the most fair, they were mostly fair during this era. And he decided that the current president, again, was uh, was so corrupt that there's no way that there could be a, a fair election, which is ironic coming from fucking Batista. In reality, what happened was shortly before the election, an opinion poll went out and had him in dead last, uh, and everyone else that was running for office uh, over him mm-hmm. promised that if they won, they would remove Batista from command of the wow. military. So, yeah, he hit the big red coup button again. Um, now, this is mostly mostly bloodless, uh, especially for a coup, and especially for a coup that happens on this show. Uh, the military is fully in Batista's pocket, as you would imagine, and the ones that maybe weren't realize that... If I'm not, if I don't go along with this, I might get a speed hole punched in my skull. you know. So uh, the military quickly took over. Batista was quickly named head of the new government, and 10 days later, the US recognized him as such, which should become as no surprise, because at this point, the US government is fully working with Batista and helped him organize everything. The US didn't much care about the horrific corruption and violence that Batista's reign of terror uh, would become. He let the U.S. exploit the living shit out of Cuba at will and promised to torture and murder pretty much any Cuban that so much whispered the word Marx in in his general direction.
1: Yeah. So in Cuba, you have both, you have the sugar industry, Mm -hmm. you have the fruit industry, and you have casinos run by the American mob. Yeah. Before there was was Las Vegas, there was Cuba. There's Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky, Sam Giancana, the, 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 the remnants of the Capone organization, like... So much stuff, both money laundering and like casinos where like the basic the house always wins kind of stuff, like stuff they couldn't get away with in America um a degree to which they could get away with also running prostitution also run- drugs to a degree, but like not like during prohibition, this stuff also was a, a big tourism destination, and so like obviously by this point, prohibition is long dead, but like the amount of the amount of money that it generated with the mob like they sought. Refuge elsewhere, oh, away God, from yeah. the prosecution, away from the FBI, and so you're in a situation now where, like, Batista has the backing of the U.S. state. He has the backing of a number of of international organizations or like uh, corporations as regards things like sugar, things like rum, uh, mm-hmm. tropical fruits, uh, and then he also has the backing of basically a lot of fucking mob money yeah uh, he's making a lot of money for them or letting them make money
0: yeah and we'll talk about a little bit more in a, in a bit but like to the point that his relationship with the mafia soured his relationship with the cia uh which is kind of impressive and just to just to underline here what this ux exploitation of cuba looked at this uh this was said by jfk quote At the beginning of 1959, the United States companies owned 40% of Cuban sugar lands, almost all of the cattle ranches, 90% of the mines and mineral concessions, 80% of all utilities and the entire oil industry, and supplied two-thirds of Cuba's imports. In short, the U.S. owned Cuba and would lavish riches on Batista as long as he shut the fuck up and let them do it. Uh, According to historian Louis A. Perez Jr., author of the book On Becoming Cuban, quote, Daily life had developed into relentless degradation, the complicity of the political leaders and public officials who operate at the behest of American interests. The same book also points out the U.S. ambassador actually had more direct power in Cuba than Batista did. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Anything you can think of, poverty, illiteracy, tropical diseases, like the average Cuban had a horrible quality of life. Oh, God, yeah. And like that's a climate
0: where lots of bad things can
1: happen health-wise. You know, and like it was happening, and disease I mean, was
0: endemic. Yeah. Uh, Batista did absolutely nothing to try to control tropical diseases, and I mean, people often point out that there was slavery in Cuba. It was more like a serfdom, which, like, I don't want to like be like it wasn't slavery exactly. It, it was, but there was no like chattel slavery. However, there was a, a Batista effectively implemented serfdom on Cuba uh, for these companies and the mafia. Um, it, it was absolutely insane. He didn't give a single fuck about his people. He made a personal agreement with the head of the CIA, Alan Dulles, to act as effectively as uh, a, a spook for the CIA. Um, he was made fantastically wealthy by this arrangement and murdered around 20,000 people, but probably more. Uh, that's 20,000 that we can confirm. And this is in less than a decade. you know it, it is an absolute rate of terror. And the U.S. administration cheered him on because uh, he was a great ally in the fight against communism, of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A thing that you'll hear, you know, like I said, in defense of Trujillo in the Dominican Republic, uh, again, f- in defense of some of- certainly in, as the 70s were on in defense of people like, um, like Pinochet in, in Chile. Uh, and the thing about it is, is uh, f- was it Fujimori in Peru? Yeah. Like, this is a constant. The entire refrain. Argentine, like. Yeah, the, the Argentine military. Yeah. Into, yeah, like that this is, the, the, well, they're, they're great allies in defense against communism. But like if you live in those countries and you seek redress over anything that makes your life worse, you might just get disappeared.
0: Yeah, he'll get yeeted out of a helicopter. So, so far in the, the, the history of the show, the only country that we've ever found that was staunchly quote unquote anti-communist that didn't get a full throated American uh, support in the middle of the Cold War was like Rhodesia. And like yeah. that, that that was like the line is like you've officially gone too far with this whole apartheid thing. But if you dial it back, we'll be cool. We'll totally be cool. With you. Yeah. And like I, I think it was the the crippled the uh, Eagles of Rhodesia episode. We point out that like whenever anybody, and of course we're you know we're various different shades of, of of left on this show. But and if you didn't know that before. I don't know how you didn't, uh but like generally when anybody is like uh, screaming about anti communism, like they're just a fascist
1: yeah <laughs> yeah they they it's it's that's the thing is that like as long as you allow basically the 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 rubric in the Cold War was that as long as you allow business to continue at its rapacious pace, and you know there isn't anything that's going to alter. US or foreign control of assets, of resources, or of the labor force, you can basically do whatever you want. It has to be so bad. Like when you think about the kind of stuff that fucking Papa Doc Duvalier got away with before there was and any his son. Yeah. Of, yeah. 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 Exactly. But before there was any kind, of, uh, any kind of real official criticism. When you think about the degree, like the depravity that, uh, that the apartheid regime in South Africa had to get up to, it was like very public displays of brutality against people protesting things along those lines like we basically didn't care like and no, of course not and like like even even in countries that were that were anti-communist in like a sort of liberal democratic way like when you think about if you read in some of the stories for example of like people being murdered or like beaten within an inch of their life for protesting for like fucking trade union rights in japan for example yeah like we were fine with that we were fine with with uh General Motors sending out people to beat the shit out of Japanese strikers. We were fine with all this stuff. We were fine with it in America too, but we were way more fine with it abroad. Of
0: course. And so look at, I mean, I think it was Nestle or Coca-Cola ran death squads in Colombia very recently.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where like, like you will see a lot of, of of kind of like blanket defenses of stuff, blanket uh, sort of partisan positions, what you might call campism as regards uh, Cuba post revolution. But like one thing that you can't, really argue against unless like your granddad owned slaves in cuba is that fucking life sucked as a cuban life fucking sucked unless you were in there's
0: there's no viable defense of the batista regime like i I don't i don't think anybody on this uh, anybody who listens to this show will i mean uh, likewise like even when in our soviet afghan war series like the first uh, afghan revolution against the king makes a lot of sense and then it didn't because it all went very badly from there. Yeah, it went, down extremely, down. went extremely badly, very, yeah. very quickly, and then, uh, and then the Soviets invaded, made everything worse. Because yeah. uh, one, of the, one of the dumbest fucking arguments I've ever heard in my life, mm-hmm. and. uh maybe we can cut this out later if it doesn't sure make yeah, sense fair enough. is like the soviets did not invade afghanistan they were invited i'm like well in that case the u.s didn't invade vietnam either you stupid motherfucker yeah i
1: mean they they were the the, the soviets the, the acronym or the the turn of phrase the soviets loved to use in afghanistan was that they would call themselves the limited contingent of soviet forces and yes. they were invited there but like that kind of ignores the fact that like they were yeah notionally invited there so they could fucking kill Hafizullah Amin.
0: The first thing they did <laughs> is kill the, <laughs> the president. Spetsnaz went in and killed the president. Like They installed hey, the fucking Barmak Karmal. In the, in the Spetsnaz's defense, they also killed a lot of their own men. <laughs> they did. Yes, fair enough. Yeah, like, so it's
1: just one of those things where, like, right, you don't necessarily want to be hardline one versus the other, but like, or at least if you want the perspective of like all of the historical record, you're going to force yourself to ignore a lot of shit. If you say, I refuse to even acknowledge the existence of this stuff. But one thing that I will never acknowledge the existence of with any, um, legitimacy, Ohio, Ohio, <laughs> point number one and defenses of Batista's Cuba. Oh no, it's fucking two. insane.
0: Now, that That is, that. that's like people who say like, you know, Rhodesia wasn't great, but look what Mugabe did. I'm like, Oh, oh, God. You're, so you're a fucking Nazi. Google,
1: Google search breadbasket of Africa daily mail comments and you will see oh a God. lot of that shit. Good God. That just sounds like nightmare
0: fuel. Now, uh, eventually, Batista went too far even for the United States. Rather than only killing communists like we've already talked about, Batista effectively became a member of virtually every American mafia outlet. Uh, he was working with Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky, and others, and this relationship with the mafia. Was, became so important because he made so much money that he stopped being a good CIA agent. Actually, he
1: was a profound f- fighter in the fight against anti-Semitism by employing Meyer Lansky. <laughs> All right. You need to respect that. At a time when there were Jewish quotas at Harvard, Fulgencio Batista was willing to work with people, with Jewish people as equals, as long as they were mob bosses who killed a lot of people. <laughs> We're huge
0: pieces of shit. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I'll work with the Purple Gang. It's fine. Uh, Sounds good to me. Say what you will about Batista. He was a war criminal, mass murderer, not an anti-Semite. Doesn't seem like he was... Or if he
1: was an anti-Semite, he liked making money more than he liked being anti-Semitic.
0: Oh, so it's like Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, fair enough.
1: You know that the only Americans to receive the POW medal from being held in a camp in a neutral country were from Switzerland? There was like a like a company's worth of American soldiers who were held and like the, the, the commandant of their camp was a Swiss German guy with a French name who was so pro Nazi that he was just like, I'm gonna abuse the fuck out of these guys because I love the Nazis. And it took forever. Like by the time that this was actually acknowledged, there's only like a handful of these guys still alive. But like they got the POW medal, which you don't get typically if you're held in a neutral country. Yeah. It has to be if you're held in an enemy country. But they literally if they finally agree, they're like, in the case of this camp, it counted as being held by an enemy country because, fuck's sake, this was bad. Jesus Christ, Switzerland!
0: Nothing about that country surprises me anymore. Um, now, when the U.S. event eventually told Batista, "Like, look, you have to stop working with the mafia," mostly because, like, you know, the FBI and CIA also want to wrap up the mafia, and you're protecting them, and you're supposed to be a member of the CIA. Yeah. Um, and, like, normally, the CIA is is totally fond of, like, you know. Go her attitude, starting your own shit, but you know,
1: and they're typically like, as this stuff plays out, fine with organized crime in those countries, but when it's stuff that like it becomes politically difficult in the United States, right? That's, Manuel that's, Noriega is a great example yeah, yeah, of that. exactly. It's like in the middle of the drug war in America, where that's like the big political haymaker. This guy who's like, "Hey, you got any cocaine money? Please put it in my banks." Like, that's going to be a political problem in America. And it's like, that's the moment where a guy has to be like, okay, okay, I realize that I've had billionaire reality bends around me money for so long, but like, this is a thing where consequences might actually exist.
0: Yeah. And those consequences came in the form of Fidel Castro's communist revolution. Uh, It swept through the countryside and Batista fell from power quite easily, mostly because the U.S. is like, this is what you get, motherfucker. We're not helping you. Uh, he fled from the, uh, the country in, uh, I believe, 1959 and Castro's army marched in and captured Havana. Now, somewhat surprisingly, America immediately recognized the Castro government. Eisenhower, shocked to shock's sake, a staunch anti-communist. Uh, at first thought Castro was going to be good for Cuba, mostly because one of the first things he did was crack down the fucking mafia, which was really hurting American profits. Now, of course breaking point was nationalization of all those American companies but set yes, up sir. shop in Cuba under Batista uh, which I
1: mean like fucking respect because yeah of course like, it was it was just absolutely just
0: yeah rapacious extraction like let's be yeah. real here there, there was absolutely no viable way to keep that up and what's weird is at this point people still thought in the United States that despite the fact that Castro was obviously a left-wing revolutionary like Alan Dulles is like well he's no communist it's like alright uh I mean, to be fair, that opinion only lasted about a month. Uh and then Dulles is like, all right, guys, I may have been wrong about this. This one. is kind
1: of like it's like the the political orientation version of the meme about, you know, historical document where they're like, I am so gay for you, dude. I love you and I want to have sex with you. I'm a dude and so are you, and we're totally gay. And the historians <laughs> like, they were really good friends.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um now everything that we know about what happens between Cuba and the US could have actually been much different. But Eisenhower ghosted Castro. Um, Castro went to the U.S. for a UN meeting, uh, hoping to meet with Eisenhower because at this point Castro was under a, a, a very obvious ideas like if I piss off the U.S. too much, they are going to invade
1: me. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, so he was going to smooth out the problems the two of them were having. And there's a fair bit of evidence suggests that Castro really meant it and is willing to make concessions. Like, look, we're going to do a little leftism. You can do a little bit of your extractionism, but not like you used to. Um, and mostly to make sure he doesn't, you know,
1: get invaded, get invaded.
0: However, when Eisenhower learned that Castro wanted to meet with him, he literally left DC, uh, just left fucking Washington, uh, pissed Castro went to the UN and he famously made a speech at the UN that, uh, that year declaring Cuba's independence from domination of the U S and afterwards they rapidly moved towards the Soviet, uh, sphere of influence. So real big own goal there on behalf of Eisenhower. Now, Eisenhower did realize that he had fucked up and he was like, oh, probably should have done that. I'm going to send my vice president to go and talk to him. But who is his vice president? Richard Joe? fucking Nixon. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. Richard Nixon, who when he was Eisenhower's vice president, kind of made political hay because he was his motorcade was attacked by communist protesters. I'm struggling to remember the city that it was in, but like, that was a really, I think it was in Latin America, but I can't remember, but that was a really <laughs> big thing for Nixon was like, Nixon was the anti-communist and he was sort of the enemy of fucking communists around the world. It was like this, this guy who like, that was his sort of political drum to beat was he was like solidly anti-communist. And as a result, Nixon in Cuba, not a good idea.
0: Yeah. They, he met with him and then immediately went back and said, we got to kill him. Uh, We have to depose Castro. It's the only way. Um, And to be fair, Eisenhower was kind of on the fence about it. Not nearly as on the fence as JFK eventually would be. But uh, on December 11th, J.C. King, who is the head of the CIA's Western Hemisphere Division, wrote a memorandum to a guy named Richard Bissell, the Deputy Director of Plans. And the memo said that Castro had turned Cuba into a, quote, left-wing dictatorship and was threatening to lend Cuban support to revolutionary activity across Latin America. And said that the only remedy to this entire situation was quote violent action uh so yeah they wanted to kill him uh so like, the now memo literally ended said, thorough consideration be given to the elimination of fidel castro
1: so now it is your job to find the drunkest and least reliable cuban men in miami
0: that's right uh and in march 1960 the eisenhower administration officially began planning their attempt to take out castro and the plan that they originally had looks much, much fucking different than the one that existed.
1: No, just so people don't don't uh, go nuts here, I'm pretty sure that in March 1960, yeah, you're so you're basically at the point where we're not we're, the revolution has taken place. The Nixon, I believe, has not yet clinched the nomination to be uh, the presidential candidate to replace Eisenhower in the 1960 election. I don't think so. He is yet. absolutely favored for that, and so. Like you're already at the point where Eisenhower is coming to the end of his uh, to the end of his eight years in office. And like America looks back on Eisenhower like there's a lot of like weirdly there's like a lot of like MSNBC liberals, but like who are like Eisenhower is my ideal government. But like there were a lot of weird back and forth kind of meltdowns with Eisenhower, like a lot of big scandals. There was a huge like like kind of bullshit expense bribery scandal that got a lot of people hemmed up. And also, like in his last years in office, Eisenhower was very unwell. He spent a lot of time, like, unable to be doing his job because he was sick. And so, like, it's a very strange era because uh, you've gotten past McCarthy, but like, McCarthy may not be the fucking most powerful senator anymore. But like, there are a lot of people in America who still really support what McCarthy was selling. Oh fuck and yeah! And so, like, Nixon among them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so this 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 man from from California with the world's biggest chip on his shoulder is now apparently going to be. Uh, and he'll and he and you know he he's go, trying to get elected president on the promise like don't worry no one will ever have legal jurisdiction over the tapes that I record in my office
0: yeah don't don't mind me recording my threats to murder journalists and shit and and getting getting drunk and wondering well one of my favorite Nixon stories is like when it was clear to everybody that he was uh like he had to leave office he literally just spent the entire time wandering the halls of like the White House drunk and like in his underwear and a robe
1: I'm pretty sure there were times when he actually was trying to initiate nuclear strikes. I don't think that's apocryphal. Like I genuinely think there's a record of that. The
0: Joint Chiefs of Staff had to put something in like in place to make sure he was like unable to do so in his current state, (laughs) which is very (laughs) funny because there's like a weeks long period there that like someone attacked the United States. Like the the generals are like, I don't know, like currying him into a corner like he's a puppy so he doesn't try to blow up the world and like nobody's running out because Spiro Agnew had resigned. Like nobody was sure what the fuck to do. yeah, yeah. Uh, Now, in 1960, the Eisenhower administration began officially playing their attempt to take out Castro. The plan had several stages, the creation of a unified Cuban opposition to the Castro regime outside of Cuba, use of propaganda to undermine Castro, development of intelligence network within Cuba that would follow orders of the exile opposition based in the U.S., and the development of a paramilitary force outside of Cuba for future guerrilla actions on the island. All this would eventually coalesce together, and of course, overthrow Castro if everything goes right. Eisenhower approved this plan within the week, and it was given the name Operation Pluto, though this looks absolutely nothing like the operation they ended up going with, because immediately the plan ran into pretty big problems, namely the fact that the anti-Castro groups mostly in Miami fucking hated one another. They all did. There there was no way to unify them. They all thought that their one group was a group to free Cuba. They were not going to work together. Fuck everybody else. So the U.S. had to work around them. They would simply start their own group, namely the paramilitaries, that would be integral to the entire plan. When I say the U.S. started and ran this group independently of any anti-Castro political groups, they did. To the point that anti-Castro political groups who were already working with the CIA because they were, they uh, know pretty much all of them weren't told about this plan. They needed to keep these guys in the dark because the, the they just unreliable to they work. Were, with yeah, the CIA. And they were
1: also they they had been infiltrated. Like that's oh, the thing they were that's so going to so become important to yeah. the
0: failure of this plan. Yeah. Uh, and the CIA kind of knew that like they weren't vetting anybody. Like you show up and say, you hate cash or like, welcome aboard dude. Uh, but if you were a member of one of those groups, like a, a, a documented member of one of those groups, they would not let you join the CIA group because they couldn't trust you. You could be a mole or whatever, um, which will become funny in a bit because you'll see who they end up recruiting. Cause when you, would you just cut out all of these well-defined organizations in Miami, like you're not left with a lot of other people to pick from. uh now the plan for the paramilitaries is based on commando tactics used during world war ii a group of 25 or so men would be trained inserted into cuba and they would train locals who would obviously welcome them as liberation heroes a plan that never goes wrong as two people at this table could tell you Mm -hmm. um slowly this would build an entire grassroots army and then they were effectively attempting to recreate castro's revolution uh it does not work some of these Cuban exile volunteers, I'm going to use the term volunteers and paramilitaries kind of interchangeable here because some of them were volunteers, some of them were not. Uh, some of them are full-blooded anti-Castro militants, guys like Eduardo Ferrer, who was a Cubana Airlines pilot who had hijacked his own plane at gunpoint and flown to Miami. Um, and there are other people who are not so motivated to fight Castro. For instance, one guy had joined the Cuban revolution to Batista, and when it was all over, he fell out politically with the new government, so he made his way to the U.S., However, once he got there, he was arrested for being a legal immigrant and threatened with deportation unless he volunteered to join the CIA's growing army. And that happened hundreds of times. Damn, I wonder if any of those guys
1: might have any grievances and be willing to share information <laughs> with other organizations besides
0: the CIA. Couldn't imagine. So a fair amount of the paramilitaries literally do just shanghaied, given a choice between joining the CIA paramilitary or being deported to Cuba. Yes. Uh, which... Bad things awaited them if that happened. Yes, because at that point, if they would have gone and then been deported, the Cubans, because of their moles within the Cuban exile community, know that the they've been contacted by the CIA. Like that is a death sentence. Yeah, and of course, minimum, you're going to be
1: fucking in prison.
0: Yeah, you're going to, you're with probably a few
1: less toenails than you started off with. And so it's one of these situations where it's like they have managed to both, yeah, like trap these guys, but also build in like a self-defeating low morale machine. Yeah. Like, in a huge way, and it, it just gets more and more... You, what you discover in learning about this is that, like, the left hand is never talking to the right.
0: Yeah. Ever. Of course, especially in this situation. Um, now, Cuban recruits all receive the same assurance that the project simply could not fail because the U.S. government was behind it and would simply not let it fail.
1: They would give it lots and lots of material support, like air cover yeah. and naval gun cover yep. and resupply and medevac. <laughs>
0: Guess what they didn't give? Any of Any those. Of uh, yeah. Now, what Doles was telling recruits that it lo- if it looked like it was going to fail, the U.S. would simply step in directly and make sure it didn't. Training began in Louisiana and Florida, but then it was moved to the Panama Canal zone. And then it moved again to Guatemala in the middle of nowhere in a coffee plantation. When Cuban volunteers finally got there, they finally they weren't actually being trained by the CIA, but rather like subcontractors. The CIA had hired to do the job for them. This included... Eastern Europeans, Mexicans, and Chinese people who, obviously, the Mexicans spoke Spanish, but uh, the guys that they managed to hire really fucking hated Cubans. Uh, physical abuse by the contractor is not only common, but expected as a part of everyday training exercises in life, and uh, this led to constant communication problems, right? Because only like two of these guys could actually speak Spanish. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, problems with uh, communication results in several training deaths, mostly through Mysterious gunshots to the back. Um, Whoops. No, yeah. Blank fire adapter came off. <laughs> yeah. On September 8th, Carlos Rodriguez Santana, a member of the Volunteer Brigade, was shot and killed in an accident. His roster number is 2506, and that number became the Volunteer Brigade's official name, Brigade 2506, which I have to say, pretty fucking grim if you're in that brigade. Um, not, not, a, not a lot to boost the, uh, the old morale there.
1: And then you have to explain if you survive to your grandkids that you're named after a different Carlos Santana. <laughs>
0: that uh didn't even write smooth he yeah. just got shot by his own guys yeah that that brigade not so smooth uh the brigade was commanded by pepe san roman is a graduate of cuba's military academy who'd undergone cuban cuban military training and also military training in the united states during an exchange program he'd been a batista loyalist until he was arrested under batista freed by the revolution joined the new military under castro and then was arrested again uh after that, he decided he should probably leave Cuba and was smuggled to the U.S. via the CIA. Another one of the commanders was Rodrigo Montero Duque. Uh, he was a, another Batista loyalist who did not decide to uh, to change sides during the revolution. and said it was pretty well known for murdering civilians and uh, doing all sorts of war crimes against revolutionaries. He only escaped uh, from almost certain death from the uh, Castro regime due to help from Roman. Roman put in a good word with the CIA, and he got smuggled to the U.S., these guys were handpicked by the CIA to command the volunteer force. Well, politics did play a, a part; it was a decent-sized part, as you cause like, especially because they're already not working with all these other groups. You, like, we kind of already said, it limits who you can recruit. The CIA picked ten percent of, uh, like, this of the people the CIA picked. Only ten percent had any prior military service. So, like, of the officers who had command experience, these guys were pretty much it. And like. And the soldiers fucking hated them. Uh, now, the soldiers hated them because while well, they mostly knew what was happening, like nobody told nobody told each one of these soldiers, like you're working for the CIA. But it was no secret amongst them that like these officers were not picked for their want to free Cuba. They weren't picked for their command experience or or, or, or military genius. Like they were picked by the CIA to lead them. So they're just like, oh fuck you! You're nothing but a CIA spook.
1: Right and so like you already have an organization where morale's going to be pretty low amongst rank and file and then you've got a lot of inexperienced people who don't trust each other and like the training as you've just
0: described is subpar would be very generous <laughs> to describe it Mo- mostly just getting hit a lot by some like Romanian guy on a on a CIA contract <laughs> exactly
1: look at this fucking guy he doesn't even know how to <laughs> hang a gun well, fuck this guy
0: it Sorry, like- that's Romanians we
1: had a we had a Romanian cab driver a Romanian van driver who was a talked like he was from brooklyn but also with a romanian <laughs> accent and everywhere we went when he was driving he's like look at this fucking asshole look at this fucking guy and then i was like yeah it's really funny man like yeah I, I, you know you remind me of guys in new york he's like oh yeah man i live in new york for like 15 years They you port my ass i gotta fucking come here instead <laughs> and so uh yeah i'm just imagining a romanian with cubans just in the swamp hating his life yelling at him like yeah. that
0: just smacking people around a coffee plantation making cia money and like uh, what i somewhat ironically the people who maybe were not the brightest in the organization uh said that having the cia picked uh a pick our commanders makes this entire thing like it looks like it's plotted by a foreign government like i wonder mm-hmm. how you got that idea i wonder how you got that idea curious now this ended in a strike somewhat ironic for anti communist uh yeah exactly militia. yeah up the workers dickheads <laughs> yeah uh where hundreds of volunteers simply refused to train, protesting Roman as their commander. Some wanted to elect their own commander. So the CIA contractors locked them all in a house and put them under house arrest. Um, and they would stay there until after the invasion ended. So these guys are the real winners. They didn't, ha- they didn't have to take part in anything. Like they're under house arrest, sure, but they didn't have to like storm the beaches of the Bay of Pigs. Yeah, storm the beaches of this empty swamp and then get fucking hit by anti aircraft fire <laughs> yeah. nonstop. Yeah, wow. Okay, before we get into what happens next, we have to talk a little bit about uh, something that Nate is obviously very familiar with. This concept called mission creep. Um, mm, I know nothing about this. <laughs> There's now the not a big 20-year war lesson in this. Yeah, several of them. Uh, the easiest way to explain this is when you plan one thing, normally something small or simple, and it rapidly spirals into something so large and complex it is you just cannot possibly succeed no matter how long or how hard you try. But a good example of this is pretty much every war the U.S. has fought since Korea. Um, or the Soviet Union and Afghanistan or Russia and Ukraine or the U S and Iraq, you know?
1: Yeah. I would say that the, the, specifically if you look at Iraq and you look at Afghanistan and you look at the Gulf war, the reason why one of those ended and the other two only ended by force was from the other side winning or, 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 or forcing the U S to a stalemate where they eventually politically had to, 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 leave is because the, the Gulf war was one where the mission was expel iraqi army from kuwait and that was a very defined thing it was the their military forces have to be kicked out and we can't you know there was some more of maneuver and movement into iraq across the border during the war but like at the end the end state of the war is at the iraqi border there are no more foreign troops and iraqi forces are back in iraq or dead because we bombed the shit out of them on the highway of death right whereas let's go to iraq and let's
0: install democracy the le- Not
1: really a very well defined mission to begin with
0: and let's drive around in circles until some randos try to kill us yeah exactly <laughs> or,
1: or like in Afghanistan let's get rid of the Taliban okay but now let's make this place uh, you know democratic and stable so the Taliban can't come back to power and let terrorists back in okay <laughs>
0: how does that end oh that's the fun part this is, doesn't. this is a country that's literally never had
1: this kind of political system and the people you put in place are 100% just like the absolute rogues gallery of the worst people committing war crimes and human rights abuses in the last 20 years
0: yeah like Dostum yeah this is 20, <laughs>
1: 20 years ago as of as of 20, 2001 and so then they're like hmm I wonder if this war is gonna end uh well it did a different way and so yes long explanation here but mission creep basically it's like well uh, if it just continues to spiral into more stuff because the actual, the, the, the task becomes impossible.
0: Right. And that's exactly what the CIA starts doing this well, as the CIA subcontractors are mauling the volunteers. The CIA also figured that if this is going to work brigade would need an air force. They'd been using a shell company called Southern air transport using old C 46 cargo planes to ferry the volunteers to the training area and back, but they decided they needed something more. They slapped together an air force made up of 15 B-26 bombers, five C-47 transports, and seven C-54s. Of course, this ran into a snag. It is hard to train pilots. It is a complicated job to have, and it takes a long time. So despite Eisenhower giving explicit orders that no Americans be involved in any single part of the operation in Cuba, the CIA just hired some American pilots to fly the Cuban Air Force they'd put together. Most of them are actually from the Alabama Air National Guard. Ah.
1: (laughs) Now, you'll notice that there's no attack aircraft in that. Manifest you've just put together there's, they
0: have bombers, but no, 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 nothing. no, no fighter escort no no
1: no fighter aircraft, no. which uh that's going to be important later on because there are certain tasks that uh we'll put it this way: bombers are better at, and there's certain tasks that fighter aircraft are better at yes. and uh this will become important
0: as if that wasn't dumb enough, at least eighty Americans showed up to the training camp to join um and since the the contractors the CIA contractors at the camp didn't really give a fuck, they were let right in. So there's several just American citizens involved. Uh,
1: Yeah. So once again, not really doing good for your uh, stage managed story that this is solely resistance on the part of dissatisfied Cuban exiles who want to take their country back.
0: And even then, remember, they're planning an invasion of Cuba with like less than 2,000 guys. It's absolutely ridiculous. As if, throw, as if uh, throwing together an Air Force staff by Americans wasn't bad enough, the U.S. also decided to give give the Cubans a navy, kind of. They gave them some old uh, World War II Higgins boats they laying around. Uh, but as you figured from this kind of mission creep, the CIA was moving away from the idea of that small 25 commando team thing, and there was now going on to just an outright invasion. The reason for this switch, at least according to the CIA, was because the, Cuba was accepting Soviet help rebuilding their military and arming them with mostly modern equipment. And if they waited for that to occur, there's no way that their plan could work. Um, because they were sending the worst fucking volunteer force on earth out to go fight people with World War II hand-me-downs.
1: And it's also very funny to be like, yeah, you, you know, by this point, modern aviation is not as advanced as it is now. But like, it's not as if you can just fly without a declared flight plan to at least the air traffic control of your departure airport. So the idea that they were like, nobody knew where these guys came from. Whose planes are those? It's like, fucking come on,
0: guys. All these guys are from Florida. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) It's like, oh, no, it's not invasion. We're just trafficking cocaine. Yeah. Uh, So the CIA figure the only way to beat them uh, in the rapid rearmament process is to just immediately stage a full scale amphibious invasion of Cuba before the military. can. With a brigade minus size element of people who are terrible at their jobs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget no armor. Uh, and I mean, this is back when that was very important to have armor. Uh, they don't have any kind of support. It's, it's real bad. Um, now this also meant they suddenly had to get new boats or at least more boats, nothing they're getting is going to be new. So the CIA reached out to a guy named Eduardo Garcia, who ran the Garcia Line Corporation, which is the only Cuban freighter still shipping rice and sugar from Cuba to the U.S. Garcia had been working with the CIA extensively for years, smuggling out anti-caster leadership and pretty much anybody the U.S. wanted him to. The Garcia Line consisted of six old transport freighters. All of them were in real, real rough shape. The CIA figured they looked so haggard that nobody would see them as a military invasion force and they wanted to pack them full of Cubans and steam them towards the islands. Uh, and then from those boats, they would load into Higgins boats and then come to shore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Garcia would only do it if the CIA promised to protect his ships, wanting them to be armed with like several machine guns and, and stuff like that. But the CIA refused saying like, who would dare attack an, a, a fleet protected by the American Navy and Air Force? Uh and so. yeah they're, that's what they're telling everyone involved like the, the US Air Force and Navy and Naval Wing whatever they're all going to be there to protect you uh, so like don't worry about it so Garcia leased the agency his entire fleet um, which will be a mistake so by now it was 1960 and JFK was in office uh, and he wasn't exactly the biggest fan of this in, this invasion thing uh, some of this could be chalked up to the fact it was Eisenhower's idea and you know presidents really don't like picking up ideas from their predecessors uh, but a fair amount of it seems to be that he did not see it was uh, uh, that it was going to work. He ordered the Joint Chiefs of Staff to evaluate the plan, and surprise, surprise, they said, "quote It has a fair amount of success." Ah, cool. All right. Which doesn't really seem to be a vote of confidence, like a fair amount of success. Like, I mean, I think the thing about it is,
1: is that like they're already kind of hedging their
0: bets. Yes, JFK like, immediately starts hedging his bets.
1: So, like. JFK by this point the US in in the early part of the 20th century the US still had a system where presidents didn't take office until March. Uh by this point it's in January like it is now. So JFK has been president uh in by the time the the invasion is set to take place he has been president for I believe fewer than 4 months. Like it's very very early in his presidency. So like the planning for all of this, all of the logistics, all the training, everything that's been set in motion, that's from before. And there's this combination of like intense skepticism as well as like the desire to sort of prevent present uh, an optimistic face to kind of bluff your way through it. But I really do feel like what you've just described is it kinda of gets to the heart of it in the sense that they're already saying, Oh yeah, this might work. Like think about some of the big military debacles in our lifetimes. When they <laughs> walked into it, it was never, oh, we we might we might we might manage this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like even they internally, were fully, they were saying, but, yeah, they're yeah.
0: fully convinced, and they're like the joint chiefs, like, eh. like, like
1: <laughs> when 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 uh, Eric Shinseki said that that wouldn't be enough troops to invade Iraq, they were like, oh yeah, guess who your replacement's going to be, dickhead. Like <laughs> yeah. they effectively fired him. Yeah. And and so like in this case, like they're already a little bit more not if not necessarily alarmism than like fatalism about it.
0: And another thing that really pushed JFK to finally pull the trigger on this thing is that the president of Guatemala was like we're not going to house these fucking guys forever. Yeah. You need to do something with these guys. So like hmm. if they didn't act the entire framework of this, like, I don't know, backup plan or whatever you want to call it, would fall apart. So JFK gave the operation a green light. He once again demanded that no Americans be involved in the operation and reserved the right to defer his final decision on air support until 24 hours before the mission was set to begin. Again, not a huge vote of confidence. And then it got worse. Great. It tends to do that around here. Yeah. Now, a key part of the plan was for the Cuban, quote-unquote Cuban, volunteer Air Force to bomb Castro's Air Force while it was still on the ground, throw in some paratroopers, and then land them in ashore. But a key part that could not fail was the bombing. And JFK was edging a bit on this, and not the way that JFK normally edged. Um, I'm appalled. With well, I'm appalled, too.
1: Sorry, fuck me. (laughs) That's right. I was trying, confession of lack of workplace professionalism. I was trying to check a thing on Wikipedia about the president of Guatemala because I would have said the wrong name. (laughs) And then I totally
0: did not expect that from Joe. (laughs) Fuck. This will not be the only JFK related dick joke in here because I don't get to make this very often. mm, Yeah. Now, uh, while JFK wouldn't give a date for the invasion to start, the paramilitary sat around their training camp getting madder and madder, which also meant they just got drunk and fought one another constantly because they're still soldiers. Uh, JFK finally came up with a date, April 11th, 1961, but that still wasn't good enough. To give himself more time, he postponed the invasion date from the original date to April 17th. And then, even once it was set, he began to back down and worry, even though he could still just call the whole thing off. He didn't because JFK is not one to pull out
1: fuck <laughs> well
0: yeah fair enough low hanging fruit uh instead he called to ask how many aircraft would be used in the bombing of castro's airfields he was told it was gonna be 16 and then he told bissell the guy in charge of the whole plan that 16 is too many you scale back down to six no real reason is given for this so he's like very obviously trying to walk him back himself back from the cliff of this but he doesn't uh, On saturday april 15th a wing of only six bombers took off from nicaragua two planes were to strike each of three of cuba's airfields Campo Libertad on the outskirts of Havana, Antonio Macio Airport at Santiago de Cuba, and uh, San Antonio de los Baños, uh, which is also nearby. It was supposed to be time that they all hit at the, uh, their targets at the exact same time, even Castro's uh, forces very little time to react. And th- actually, this worked. Um, well, the, the bombing didn't, mm-hmm. but like they did hit all their targets on time, which is one of the few times that I point out that something is supposed to happen yeah, in yeah. regards time, and it actually happens. They had to fly only 50 feet uh, above uh, like the tree line to avoid radar detection before climbing up and over the mountains and then diving down onto their targets. They're armed with 500-pound bombs, which they dropped on their targets and strafed uh, other targets with machine gun fire, and they were eventually forced back by anti-aircraft fire. The, the Castro Air Force was, was not able to scramble any fighters in their defense, uh, and they... The bombers actually only had orders to do two runs on the airfield, but they did five. Wow! So this sounds like a rousing success. Yeah, it, is this is where we're going to find out. Like the planes was, had been moved. This is the most success this operation was having. It was still a complete failure. Um, now the pilots all landed back to where they started, thinking that they had destroyed the entire Cuban air force, but they they hadn't. A post bombing recon flight showed that they had only taken out five planes. This is because, like we point out, the Cuban exile political community was full of fucking spies, and enough information of the coming plan did get back to Castro that he was able to like. I think like, he knew something was coming. He mm-hmm. didn't know what exactly, but anybody with a brain between their ears knows like the first thing they're gonna do is try to blow up my fucking Air Force. So he spaced them very far apart, uh, so bombs and uh, bombs and strafing runs didn't have that much impact. Uh, a lot of them are decoys, and a lot of them are simply broken planes. And he hid the other ones in, like, the forest.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's that was the first thing that was going to cross my mind, was that these guys can't keep a secret about anything. Like, it's very obvious that, like, if the, there was no planes on the airfield, then they would realize something was up. But if, like, if what they're hitting is actually just, like, training hulks and burned out old planes, then, like,
0: got them. And somewhat ironically, they found this out through a post-bombing recon flight And if they would have done a pre-bombing recon flight, they would have seen that there were not that many planes and they would have realized like, oh, element of surprise is fucked. We can't do this anymore. They did not. Um, Now, seeing that this failed, the CIA readied another attack. That was when General Charles uh, Cable rolled into the office uh, and pointed out that the president had only authorized one air attack and he would have to call him personally and ask to authorize another one. Cable had been put in charge of the CIA temporarily while the director Alan Dulles was away doing something else. Despite the fact this is Alan Dulles' baby, he's like, oh, I got to go see a guy about a horse. You handle this. (laughs) Uh, So being a random replacement, he was not entirely sure of the mission plan or what he could do. He wasn't sure what the CIA was allowed to do in this situation. Uh, The CIA air operations officer responded, quote, no, sir, there are no restrictions on the number of strikes. The authorization from the president was to knock out the Cuban Air Force. Cable, still unsure said no more strikes would to go on without further authorization from the president himself and he would try to call him jfk did not answer (laughs) uh still at this point jfk could still cancel the invasion the invasion had not happened yet the airstrikes had failed the guy in charge wasn't actually sure of the plan and now everything was pretty much ruined so of course he told the invasion to go ahead while simultaneously canceling any other airstrikes from going further to support the invasion uh, when the American in charge of the volunteer air force heard this, he punched his desk and yelled quote, well, there goes the whole fucking war. <laughs>
1: Sigh. Yeah. Something about that.
0: <laughs> and he was right. As soon as the Cuban paramilitaries uh, uh, were on their boats, they were learning how fucked they were. Uh, a, di- a diversion force of about 168 men was supposed to land in the mountains and try to pull as many Cuban forces away from the main landings. They could, as they were set to begin. However, Once their boats got to where they were supposed to go, they just didn't get out. They refused, sensing that something was wrong, and they didn't like the way things were going, and they turned their boat around and went back towards the ship, which is the smartest thing that's going to happen during this entire invasion.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely don't want to be like a do-or-die person in this invasion, let's be real.
0: The CIA had chosen the Bay of Pigs as a landing spot for their main force. It was far away from Havana, and it was thought that no rapid modern communication systems or roads had been built between the two, so it'd be a slow reaction to get there. Mm-hmm. And for a bonus, they thought it was sparsely populated, so like nobody would be rushing out to mess with them once they landed. All of this was dead wrong. Castro had built several roads into the area, and a, and a communications network for local defense had been operating for months. Once again, they'd have known this if they'd done a recon flight. Then, of course, the element of surprise was ruined. A team of frogmen, which were kind of like sea demolition guys, went ashore to mark the landing zone the night before it was set to begin. The boat they were riding in got stuck on some reefs they didn't know about because they didn't consult a tidal map, and then a, a local militia patrol found them as they struggled to get their boat unstuck. This led to a firefight and the frogmen radioing back to the ships who thought they had hours to prepare for an invasion, like, you need to fucking invade now before everything goes fully tits up. So they did. Men started get, just getting shoved onto Higgins' boats and being like, just go that way. And like one, one of the more important things that the frogmen were doing was marking the landings. They had their, don't have their landing point of departure marked. Yeah, nothing is marked. So they're just like floating out in the middle of the night in the general direction of the Bay of Which, Pigs. So
1: you got to understand about the Bay of Pigs and the topography of that area is that there are beaches, but there's also like some, some straight up like, like mangrove swamps, like stuff where you, the, the coastline hits the land and it's just swamped for a while which is not really a place you want to disembark especially if you've got any kind of equipment especially if you got vehicles.
0: Oh, they didn't have fuck all for vehicles. Yeah, for some
1: reason I had the impression that they had Yeah, they had like like stuff in like like they, they literally like even the, the small amounts of like wheeled vehicle assets they had like wound up getting fucking stuck in shit. They got completely stuck marooned.
0: Yeah, they got stuck, they got blown up in the Higgins boats, some of them just sank. Uh like a good example is like because nothing was marked, uh, another landing craft ran right into the same reef that the Frogman had run into and their boat also sank. Other people ran ashore and got stuck up to their knees in a swamp. The jeeps just like bogged down. Uh, some guys had to swim ashore. Uh, nothing is, there's no command and control going on yeah. at all. Yeah, I remember radios not working, uh,
1: radios not being on the right frequencies. Like the equipment was actually broken when they got there. It hadn't been agreed upon. It hadn't been tested like, they hadn't. They didn't have like a command frequency. Nope. Like, like <laughs> they couldn't talk to any of the aviation assets they did have. I don't think that the guys they could talk to the Higgins boats. I don't think they could talk to the actual carrier boats.
0: Yeah, they could. So they could talk to the Higgins boats, but nobody could talk to the the the, the converted the freighters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like there was uh, like a, a good example of how how dumb this whole thing was. Is the CIA had actually outfitted them with a completely different kind of radio. And it was in uh, like they it couldn't cross talk with whatever the fleet had. So, like for instance, one of the boats out, one uh, like the, the the freighters, like not military, uh, the U.S. Navy, because they're not involved at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like they had their ammunition and like first aid supplies, and like they couldn't call that boat and be like well, you need to send more ammunition to the shore. Like there was no way to, their logistic system wasn't broken. It literally didn't exist. And the guys with the ammo were like, "Damn." Thought they would need some
1: ammo by now. I guess it must be going really fucking yeah. good.
0: They haven't called for it. Like not a single guy's yeah, been
1: wounded. have heard a thing on the radio. Yeah. Guess they're being really good about radio silence. <laughs> fucking ops, training. Hell yeah.
0: <laughs> great, great day if you're an RT on one of those like shitty converted fishing trawlers. Like, <laughs> dude, when I was called for
1: anything when I went when I went to Pathfinder School, I know we don't have a ton of time to do digressions. But when I went to Pathfinder School, my graded patrol on um the FTX, which is nowhere like graded patrols in Ranger School, but there is still a job if you have to do was to be uh the um the rto on a gmrs drop which ground mark reference system drop the great thing about it is that you don't have to have radio comms so I, I was the rto which meant i showed up i plotted out my control circle and coordinates where they were on the map so i could show to the instructor and then no one talked to me on the radio because there was no radio because for gmrs you literally mark the ground and then they know when to drop from the fucking ground markings and i was like sick as hell <laughs> fucking squared away love it Passed my patrol. Nice. it's like this guy, the RTO with the ammo supply and fucking the Bay of Pigs invasion, he passed his patrol too. Sucks about the rest of the guys, but he was good. Uh, Hold on to that.
0: (laughs) Shit. Shit.
1: I just wanted one story of fucking the Joes getting hooked up, but that may not happen.
0: Well, as thousands of men and material being offloaded onto the two beaches, the Cuban military started to respond. It was like 1 a.m. at this point is when like someone woke Castro up, like someone's fucking invading us.
1: They suck at their jobs, but they're still invading. Yeah,
0: they they made it to the beach at least. Uh, there's two beaches, red and blue. Um, and around six a.m., the surviving Cuban air force showed up and began bombing all of the Garcia line ships. Uh, and despite the fact that they were told that they'd be protected by the navy, and the navy was 15 miles like they could, according to the U.S. orders to the, their forces, they could not go within 15 miles of the shore of the of the combat zone, which is Cuba but like so they could be fucking seen just like sitting off in the distance watching everybody get murked and the thing
1: I wanted to point out from earlier remember when I said that their manifest had C-46 and c four fifty four combat uh cargo aircraft and then they had uh, I can't remember the kind of bomb it B-26 bombers something like that yeah yeah they didn't have any fighter aircraft we pointed yeah. that out now do you know what's great against bombers that are bombing your beaches fighter aircraft Yeah. because bombers are slow and fat and huge big fucking targets and fighter aircraft can both obviously strafe ground forces but can really fuck up bombers yeah they didn't have any they didn't have any fighters So the bombers basically Were unimpeded Oh yeah They could
0: just circle Around them Just
1: just literally Just like Just taking shits On every position They found
0: Yeah because there was No portable Anti-air defense systems These guys had no Artillery of any kind The only thing they had Was an 80 millimeter mortar Yeah and About three of them
1: And like man pads uh, Fucking anti-air stuff Like was pretty primitive In this era I don't know Really how much Of it existed But
0: they had none of The stuff that would Have existed at that time they didn't even have that They didn't have it I mean they didn't even have Like uh, towed artillery I don't know how you're supposed to invade and take over Cuba with like no artillery. Support. Yeah,
1: basically, they were like, yeah, they had like t- man portable or team portable mortars, which like, OK, great. You can fuck shit up with that. But like, that's not a replacement for no. artillery.
0: This is an invasion. It's someone who plays like Call of Duty.
1: Yeah, this was literally <laughs> ma- no tanks,
0: nothing. Just th- a bunch of guys hopping up and down on the beaches.
1: Remember when we talked about how basically when it comes to being like certifiably anti-fascist, very or, correction, certifiably anti-communist, you just let me take that again. Remember when we said earlier that being certifiably anti-communist tends to just mean fascist? There's this tendency amongst fascists to be unable to perceive or estimate their enemies because they assume they're just huge, weak pussies who are also like doing CRT on everyone's kids simultaneously. And the thing that you'll find in this is that they really went into it assuming that the minute the first bullets were fired, every single person with a gun in Cuba were like, yeah, we've been waiting for an opportunity to depose this country, depose this government. And when that didn't happen, they had no plan B.
0: Yeah. And not to mention like the local defense forces did the majority of the fighting. Yeah. Uh, and they, they were motivated. Yeah. They were actually motivated. They were like, Hey they guys, that they would turn. They're like, yeah. Oh, the, the liberators are here. And Hooray. all they did is like, shoot that fucking yeah, exactly. guy. <laughs> it's
1: like, it's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like Antonio fucking get your iron sights up and start <laughs> yeah. plugging these assholes. They clearly can't move.
0: Look, that one's from Alabama. Shit. <laughs> uh, now. Uh, like The bombing starts on the beaches, uh, and again, the, the Navy is not being involved. The Air Force, uh, uh, Naval Air Wing is not being involved. Um, and they, they had strict orders to literally not do anything unless the Cubans shot at them, um, which, of course, Castro kind of assumed. Yeah. So they were under the Cuban Air Force, under strict orders to not attack the American ships, yeah. despite the fact they easily could have.
1: Of course, yeah. But like in a way, here is the Cuban military, even you know, with some element of surprise you know, being attacked. But like they have a better perception of their own battle space than, oh, of than these guys who have all of the assets that have been handed to them by at least let's like we're not calling the CIA competent here, but they are well funded.
0: That, that is one thing they always have is funding. Now, the the, the bombing runs by the U.S., uh, the, the, the Cuban exile forces were called off. But you know, it wasn't paratrooper drops. <laughs> <laughs> <I> was <laughs> so say- they began to fly in their fat, slow aircraft towards their objective. And they were met by a Cuban fighter aircraft, um, and virtually all of them were shot down. Uh, this is about the time that the, the, the when they're getting shot at by Cuban fighters is the first time that those cargo pilots, uh, cargo plane pilots, uh, discover that the U.S. actually was not going to give them air cover. Like, oh, the U.S. jets will be coming any time now. Oh, oh, god! Don't worry, guys. <laughs> oh, no, slow
1: down to fucking drop drop speed. All right, 130 knots. Want to make it an easy drop, easy opening shot for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just fucking getting obliterated i don't know if your listeners know this people who aren't military but like planes go fast but planes when you're dropping paratroopers have to slow down a lot because at a certain point like it's too dangerous to go fast like uh 145 knots in a c5 is about the slowest you can go without it stalling and that's fucking painful like 130 is pretty painful like helicopters that go between 90 <laughs> and 110 that's very comfortable but like most for a combat drop. It's got to be about like, yeah, 130, 140. And like, that is fast for you when your parachute is opening. That is slow as fuck for a plane. So, like, yeah, essentially all, a
0: fighter at interceptors. Exactly, something. exactly. Being and, buzzed and, by a fucking MIG. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and
1: you've got maybe got like a ball gunner with like, a, you know, like, like a really old ass thing, but you have your angle of being able to engage is really limited. And like, they can literally do barrel rolls around you and just yeah. destroy you. Like, you're fucked. <laughs> you're so fucked, it's not even funny.
0: Now, American pilots out in the actual uh, Navy were, and there's also some that are in the air circling the U.S. ships for, like, air cover, because, like, of course, the U.S. Navy gets air cover. Uh, we're, like, constantly asking uh, to, like, go in and, like, at least take out the fighters. And, of course, there's, like, no, you can't do anything. And, like, the Cubans were, like, the Cuban fighters are getting really close and like, flipping shitties in front of them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because I just imagine, I'm just imagining fucking angry barrel rolls from American (laughs)
0: fucking fighter pilots
1: doing air cover. like, you pieces of shit, you fucking assholes. But yeah, like this whole sort of limited engagement thing. And then it's like, yeah, you can't do anything. You just have really, really good fucking seats to watch these guys get massacred.
0: Yeah, like Castro fully understood the power dynamic here. So like he wasn't going to let anybody attack. I know some paratrooper drops actually did go well. Uh, But only in very small groups. And uh, they landed and then quickly found themselves surrounded by literally tens of thousands of Cuban soldiers. And like one of the drops was like 150 guys. like, Oh, fuck this. They they just
1: surrendered. So, paratrooper lore about little groups of paratroopers or LGOPs, like, yes, we go around, fuck them things up, et cetera. But that's typically when part of a larger airborne operation, if it's it's one company of paratroopers against, you know, a a fucking entire division, like, there isn't that much you can do. You can do one or two things, you will be all right. After that, you're fucked. Like, you're just simply going to be fucked.
0: It was one of my favorite stories from the, our series on the first Chechen wars. They, like, dropped in the, the VDV to, like, and they, like, landed, like, in the middle of a frozen forest, immediately surrounded by, like, a division size element of Chechens and surrendered to, like, yeah, now we're like, good. Yeah.
1: Like, no, I, I, I don't feel like, yeah, I, I don't like discovering how one can be filleted in different directions <laughs> yeah. by Chechen butchers. Like, yeah. yeah. seeing you guys making fucking donor kebabs, you good as hell at it. I don't want to be the rotating <laughs> meat.
0: You're going to motherfucker have to turn you into a meat tornado. (laughs) Uh, And so at this point uh, it was been mostly local defense forces, like the local militias that have been fighting, but now Cuban regulars are showing up like all of them. Tens of thousands of remember there's only like, Less than two thousand of these guys on the beach, and well, less now because a lot of and them. This have is died. a
1: remote part of Cuba, but like they've now had
0: enough time to mobilize. Yeah, they've had and they six, seven training. hours. Yeah, they yeah. have been training for this shit. And more, most importantly, like this, I'm not saying their plane ever would have worked, but like a key part is like, ah, there's no roads that go out this way, so it's going to take the Cubans forever to bus out reinforcements. But like, there was a highway fucking system through there, like they could easily just run Soviet trucks up yeah, and down. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and like they had also been building roads, they've been improving yeah. roads, like they've been doing like. Uh, <laughs> They had actually been doing shit with all this time they'd been given Yeah. whereas th- these guys had just been like hmm let's uh let, let let's play a game called who won't remember being cornhole after drinking an entire bottle of rum
0: like <laughs> cool let's let's play a game called like uh, I don't know what well, this training exercise is, is called being punched by Zvi, the Bulgarian
1: guy. <laughs> like, God damn it. State of Israel just been established.
0: Zvi hadn't made it there yet to be,
1: to be your drill sergeant in the IDF who kicks you in the dick and calls you a leftist. So instead he was training guys in the fucking, to go fight the Bay of Pigs.
0: Yeah. You at this point, Cuban bombers were just circling over the be- red and blue beaches and bombing the hell out of it. The Cuban ground attack pretty much began to overpower the paramilitaries on the ground as they should have. The number game wasn't even close to being like even. Like 1,500 men hit the beach, and now the Cuban military had mobilized hundreds of thousands of troops. Yeah. Again, of course they it's are. A full fucking alert. Invaded. It's like
1: imagine if someone invaded the U.S., like all of fucking NORTHCOM would be, would be notified. Yeah, of course. Like all of U.S. Forces Command would at least get some kind of notification order. Like everyone within fucking the region where they'd need to react would react. Like, yeah everyone would be mustered on the West Coast. It would be insane. Or the East Coast, wherever it was. It would be insane. And now, and now
0: imagine it happening in a place as small as Cuba. Yes. <laughs> like, very
1: where, like, quick. They've been training for the fact that an attack is actually a real threat, whereas in the U.S. it's sort of like, like, do you really think that people are going to pull up on either side of the ocean and fucking do it like a seaborne invasion?
0: Man, if the, if an invasion happened in the U.S., it's really funny because you see like forces like clogging up the highway going to respond. In reality, what would happen is we'd all die standing in a line outside the arms room trying to get our weapon. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like,
1: wait, every single one of these has been swapped out with an
0: airsoft? Fuck. Fuck. We don't even have ammo. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to surrender. Fuck this. Uh, yeah. All right. Yep. I'll uh, be,
1: uh, I don't even think, who, I'll be in fucking space alien force. <laughs> yeah. I think who would invade the US? I mean, the
0: aliens could probably run America better than we, uh, than we yeah, ever yeah, have at this point. Yeah they, yeah, they might be looking at the Constitution and be like, yeah, we're changing that. That sucks. Yeah, hopefully it's the tower or something. Now, uh, the only indirect fire that the paramilitaries had, like we said, those 80 millimeter motors, um, they had three of them. Uh, one melted, uh, cause they were firing it so rapidly. The other one got so hot, it cooked off in a guy's face, killing oh, him. And then the other one was lost in the ocean, uh, because it was on one of the boats that sank. <laughs> so now uh, Roman was on the radio calling back to the Garcia line ships, trying to get support and it really wasn't working. Like he kept asking like the CIA, like, Hey, when's, when's the American forces showing up guys? Uh, and they're like, oh, just keep holding on. We're coming. We're coming. And like, they knew they weren't. They're like, I don't know, maybe maybe he'll just die because he'll, like, and he'll think there's still a little hope left in him, rather than like, sorry, dude, you're fucked. Bye. I love doing Make a Wish Foundation on my own invasion force. <laughs> uh, now the last organized defense on Blue Beach, which was like at this point it's like a handful of dudes, uh, was tw- was 20 feet away from the ocean itself. So these guys are like prone, rolling around in the sand, getting like high tide splashed on them. No way, no defensive posture, anything. Just like trapped on an open beach. Now, at this point, JFK finally authorized one last airstrike, but it didn't, f- unless you're dropping a fucking, I don't know, like fat man on the saying, beach. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, a, a, are you dropping matter. the neutron bomb? Yeah. Like, yeah, come on. And, the, but the key was, is uh, uh, the, the, the airstrike had happened before the sun came up, right? Because this, this has only been a couple hours at this point. Um, and uh, small problem. The bombers showed up at the wrong time in broad daylight and were immediately shot down by Cuban anti-aircraft fire. Sorry. Yeah. But imagine being on the beach, like when the last like 10 guys like try to dig a foxhole in the middle of the ocean to stop getting shot at. <laughs> like, like you, you see like finally the air support here. Get... Yeah, These explode. We're just, like, <laughs> just getting shot down. Immediately. <laughs> Ramon, yeah. At this point, Ramon's last radio calls quote, I'm destroying all of my equipment and communications. I have nothing left to fight with. I'm taking to the woods. I can't wait for you. Uh, and then he ordered what remained of his forces. Now, most of these guys do not die. I'm going to say that, um, the vast majority of the, the exiles immediately realized how fucked they were and surrendered as soon as the regulars showed up. Um, so like at this point, the vast majority of the losses that Roman has suffered is dudes running as fast as they could towards Cuban soldiers to surrender. um, and he or ramon ordered what was left of his organized force that still wanted to fight into smaller groups and just to run and they ran directly into a swamp got stuck uh got lost for two weeks and finally were forced to surrender because they were dying of thirst and the reason why they are dying of thirst is they were drinking swamp water <laughs> <sighs> that only works if you're shrek guys you can't yeah, sorry. Like, you can't do yeah, exactly. that exactly now S- one thousand one hundred and eighty men from the brigades surrendered, and one hundred and eighteen were killed in action. There are some reports that up to two thousand members of of the Cuban uh military, both militia and soldiers, were killed. but that number seems to be really, really, really inflated, and it's not sourced very well um the, the One source that does seem to be probably true is one hundred and sixty regulars of the Cuban military mm-hmm. died. I have a really hard time believing that these fucking idiots killed 2,000 members of the Cuban's local uh, defense forces.
1: Yeah, that definitely feels like some Vietnam-era fucking body count right. inflated numbers. Yeah. I feel
0: like that was some stuff that, well, that the U.S., I mean, the exiles, because, of course, the U.S. Ad- wouldn't re- admit that they had anything to do with this for a long time, um, said, like, oh, they did really well. They killed 2,000 soldiers, I mean, and only 100 of them died. And then, like, the Cubans also were like, yeah, 2,000 of our heroes died defending the motherland. Like, it's propaganda that works both ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, I think about it too that the degree to like the sort of kayfabe unreality that, that the U.S. has to maintain in this, like, it's, yeah. it's, it's just it's such an obvious joke. It lasts like 10
0: minutes. Everybody knows immediately. Yeah. Um, now, most of the brigade's POWs stayed in prison for the next 18 months or so before they're ransomed back to the U.S. for $28 million. Uh, actually, Casho had a first offer of give me some tractors and I'll give you your POWs back. And that offer was rejected. <laughs> which i have to say imagine your commander's deciding that giving him some tractors in exchange for your life was considered not an equal trade (laughs) like (laughs) this motherfucker wants some john Deere. you are a thresher at best you (laughs) piece of shit i'll give you a backhoe bitch uh though no, not everybody was ransomed. Some stayed in prison well into the eighties. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize they were Yeah, in that like mid long. to late eighties. Uh like uh, one of the guys, uh, Duke, uh the second guy in command, he was sentenced like thirty years in prison. Wow. Which is shocking for taking part in an invasion. You kinda assume that he's he going to be murdered. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now obviously this entire thing imploded. Uh and uh JFK tried to do the whole it wasn't us, there's only Cubans fighting for their freedom thing, but absolutely nobody believed him. Eisenhower met with JFK like the day after the whole thing unfurled and asked him, why the fuck would he authorize an invasion with no air cover? Um, And oh, by the way, everybody knows it was us. Yes. Like this plan could only work if it succeeds. There's no plausible deniability here. Uh, Alan Dulles, who owns a pretty big portion of the blame, testified that like because somebody asked him, like, why would you go ahead with this? He's like, well, I assumed. If JFK was to pull the trigger on the invasion, he would have no choice but to go all in because it's really dumb to do that and then claim we had nothing to do with it.
1: But it's like the whole thing was to say, all right, we're not going to get the regular U.S. forces involved unless the mission from the get-go, which it sounds like Dulles is saying is the mission from the get-go, is force whoever agrees to this to then commit conventional forces to yes. an invasion of Cuba.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it would have worked for sure. The Soviet union wasn't there like they would be in a year uh, during the missile crisis. Uh, but that means Dulles is the only man to find something JFK wouldn't go balls deep in. That's the the last one. I promise. Well, I'm appalled too. I'm just laughing because like that would have, that would have been
1: Vietnam level casualties pretty quickly. Oh God. Yeah. The disaster. I mean like the U S would probably have won militarily, but like the insurgency would have been as bad as anything they experienced in Vietnam. And yep.
0: Hey, there would have been no Vietnam War, though.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it
0: would have just been a Vietnam a whole lot closer. I wonder if there would have been any
1: Green Berets, or there'd been like something worse. There'd be like there'd be like Pink Berets, but they just only trained to do war crimes. Like it's, I At know it would like, be easier to
0: spot. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> now, pretty much everybody involved in the operation was fired. Of course, not JFK, though. I guess he'd be fired in a different way. A short time later,
1: <laughs> I thought you said it was the last. I guess it was the last it had nothing last to do with the, dick. To the sex joke. All right, <laughs> yeah. all right,
0: all right, all right a little over a year later the cuban missile crisis would begin and you know such a failure against the quote unquote spread of communism would eventually lead jfk to start committing forces to a little country called vietnam so yeah sure good job all around cia well done and yeah. you know jfk too he could have stopped this at any point yeah
1: exactly it was a stupid plan and anybody could have seen this but like yeah the, the 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 fixation on anti-communist fervor you know and the idea that this would be a political win created a really stupid situation that killed a bunch of people and also embarrassed the u.s a lot and made everybody look like clowns so
0: yeah though in closing i do have a fun fact with you pepe roman later killed himself okay that's not the fun fact i just had to put that out there
1: all right well i'll (laughs) put one of the fun fact before we go which is uh lots of good history books about this and joe can definitely cite them in the bibliography he's going to put up there but i would also recommend if you're interested it's not i would say if you're curious there's a book called harlot's ghost by norman mailer it's really long it's his longest novel it's like 1300 1300 pages but it's about it's sort of like a, like a novel about a guy kind of narrating the history of the CIA and they talk a lot about this, and like he did a ton of research, for those. like I, I reckon that it's close ish accurate, yeah, and like holy fucking shit, will you get some laughs at how bad everything was as far as the Miami organizations go so yeah. I think if you're comically
0: if, bad i it's almost like a whole episode worth of how stupid they were. It was
1: very, very, very funny, so if you're interested in that, I'm just saying it's called harlot's Ghost came out in ninety one uh I actually like it, it's probably one of Mailer's better books, so. Recommend.
0: There's a very good book on the history of the CIA, which I did not use uh, for this episode. Uh, it's called Legacy of Ashes. I believe it's. Yeah, yeah, I've read yeah, it. It yeah, is yeah, fucking yeah, it's incredible. Very, it's very
1: funny. I mean, there's the extent to which, like, the guy's kind of like, damn, if only we had a good CIA, but instead we have a bad CIA. Yeah. This part of it is like, have you ever looked at these organizations? Like, did you
0: not read your own research? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you ignore his weird wistfulness, it's like, because it is a like a very clear history of the CIA's yeah. like constant horribleness. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, wild Bill Donovan and the OSS and then everything on, on like Laos. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just the crazy shit. And in Berlin too, just like yeah. the psychotic stuff.
0: Um, and the CIA running the entire, uh, Laos air, bu- air campaign with like two guys in the like fucking Jeep and a, and a radio in his hand.
1: Yeah. Like it, it's wild, insane stuff. But, uh, yeah, if you want to learn about all the other fuck ups, it's a good book. And, uh, yeah, man,
0: I do have one fun fact. Ricardo Montero Duke, he was one of the guys that was released yeah. quite late from prison, became a real estate agent in 2007 in the New Jersey area. <laughs> so if you bought a house sometime after- I was uh, say, sometime if you bought before, a house that went <laughs>
1: underwater in the subprime crisis, it was probably <laughs> sold to you if you were in New Jersey by a guy who fucking went to prison because he was in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, no, he, he was in the Bay of Pigs invasion.
0: yeah uh, There's a very good chance if you bought a house before the year of 2007 in the greater uh, Newark area, uh, you bought a house from a Cuban war criminal. That's kind of fun. Hey, man. You know what? In the grand scheme of things, like that's every VA loan. <laughs> yeah, okay. We do have one last thing on the show. It's called Questions from the Legion. You can ask us a question, donate to the show, ask me on uh, Patreon. Um, and this one, uh, I'm going to shorten it a bit because we, we've been at this a while. Uh, but he so he calls us something that uh, by something I'm familiar with, another word. We, we probably are aware of the term self licking ice cream cone. Yeah. He calls it a self-sucking dick, um, <laughs> which All I right. think I like better. Uh, but he's like, what is the what is it a situation that you've ever seen that could be called a, self, uh, a self-sucking dick or self-licking self-sucking dick? Self-sucking dick, self-sucking ice cream, self-licking ice cream cone. Got to suck that cone. I've, I, I absolutely have one. So I know you do. you were an officer. You have to have like 20 of them sitting in the back of your I head. I mean,
1: the one that's probably the biggest one for me is uh, Bad Hyde. Do you remember Bad Hyde in Afghanistan?
0: The biometric system. So, yeah.
1: Badhide was a system that we were with, with. The idea was that you would be able to use it to uh, take people's biometrics in a very clunky kind of like early 2000s digital camera way for both face and for fingerprints and, and irises as well. Irises, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you know the idea was that you would run it, but like it was really clunky. It was really bad. It was administered by like civilians who had to basically download it off the camera and upload it to a server. <laughs> our hide guy was like fucking addicted to alcohol and pills and like well, didn't upload it. Duplicate entries, all sorts of problems. But um. The bad high with the idea behind it was that it was supposed to be okay well you do this when you're on targets when you have suspects or like they do it for like interviewing people to do jobs like so that, like like contractor jobs to make sure that, like we're not hiring people who have like known to be fucking tar- terrorists and shit but then it just became a thing that's like, no, your the platoon's tasks is go out on a fucking patrol and bat hide a whole village
0: or bat hide yep. at least 100 people. I and remember so like, that doing that, con, like set up a traffic control point and bat, bat hide everyone. every man that and comes it's, through. And it's like
1: this stupid piece of technology that's supposed to make your life easier because it's just supposed to help with forensic identification, but we know doesn't work, then becomes the thing that's driving missions. And you're like, this camera sucks. Like, I've literally had it pop, pop, pop hot on a match, and it tells me that, like, this person I'm interviewing is dead. It's a dead body <laughs> from a fucking sensitive site exploitation. I also had it happen one time where they fucking bat-headed a dude. I mean, didn't see this personally, but it happened to a friend of mine where, like, they bat a dude, and it came up and was like, yep, he was a child in 2014. This is like an old man. Yeah. And it's like,
0: no, it fucking sucked. It was a piece of garbage. But like you'd, you'd get like one thumbprint, like tier one uh, alert. It's like this guy is not a son. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly.
1: And like also like bad hatting corpses is really hard because the system had no manual override. So like, for example, if it couldn't recognize something as an eye or a face, you like I literally knew a dude who had to basically because he had a really not high ick factor. Like he, he could handle gross shit. Had to reach in around a guy's shoulders and hold his head back together so they could get the bat hide to take the to recognize God. that the photo was a fucking profile of a person because it wouldn't recognize the you know when someone's been shot with a fucking seven sixty two round photo right and and so like th- that system was such a piece of shit but it like was the thing driving missions so that yeah. to me like
0: that was my last tour was fully like. 25% of missions are built around that fucking, fucking camera. Stupid.
1: Basically, Sony Mavica with a fucking
0: fingerprint reader, and it sucked. <laughs> a finger pr- a fingerprint machine that works less than, like, your local county jail yes. from, like, bumfuck yes. nowhere.
1: Yes, like, the gym down the street here that I fucking have a membership at, like, that uses a fingerprint scanner works way better than that thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. So, what do you have? Uh, oh, okay. So, when I was stationed at Fort Knox, uh, I was I was on a tank, right? And... Tanks are notoriously maintenance hogs. Um, I mean, the U.S. logistic system is very, very good. Uh, that's one thing you can say about our military is that you generally always get what you need when you need it. However, however, at Fort Knox, we did not have tank mechanics. We had civilian contractor tank mechanics. Uh, that only worked until five. Whoops. And so if your tank was broken, obviously unit readiness goes down. You can't go out to the field. You can't go out to gunnery and your tanks don't get fixed because these motherfuckers are working a tight eight every day with an hour and a half long lunch. And so you get yelled at because your tank is not operational the mechanics. Aren't working because they're fucking fucked off making, and they're making ungodly, ungodly amounts, amounts of money. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much guy, go- and they fucking know it like, uh, like, Hey, like, and, and normally in, in, in other units, like if you work on something like over a soldier's normal le- level of, of maintenance, like level 10 maintenance, level 20, nobody really cares. Especially in in like an armor unit because everybody knows how to work and everything other than like, you know, electrical systems, stuff like that. But if you were like, fuck, I need to get this tank ready so I don't get yelled at. And it's level 20 maintenance, which is one step above what a normal soldier is supposed to do. Like, but if, if they find out about it and they will, the civilians, they'll report you to your commander and you'll get in trouble. So they've created this feedback loop of constant unreadiness and broken tanks That's all so supported funny. by a whole bunch of fat guys making like $200,000 so, a year. So
1: the sickest thing in the world would be to, be to be like be a heavy vehicle mechanic in the army and then immediately move to Fort Knox as a civilian after four years enlistment and just
0: be that guy. Oh, they, they had to be living the, like their, their fucking Cause, dream cause There were guys lives. like that in,
1: in Afghanistan who were civilians who like were the only people that were certified to do like TIG welds on, M, uh, on MRAPs. Yeah. And so like they were making like three hundred grand a year. Yeah. Yep. It's insane.
0: But at least there, they're like, because I. Makes uh, sense. It's
1: a precision thing that has to be done. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: like, I had my MRAP had to be stitched together a couple of times, but like, they moved pretty fast. Like, I never had any, like, my windshield got busted out constantly uh, from like small arms fire yeah. and rocks yeah, and yeah, shit. Yeah. It, like, whether that be like kicked up from the road or some kid with a slingshot or, or hell of a God, fucking they arm. I
1: love fucking slingshots in Afghanistan.
0: And one time, some kid annihilated my driver's side window on, on my MRAP that I was a TC of. And <laughs> those are bulletproof
1: windows. Yeah. Like, they it shatter, just, but like, it just.
0: Uh, Fucking totally spider cracked to the point you couldn't see through it. And like my gunner's like, he just did that with his fucking arm. I was like, We need to call the fucking major league baseball league. That kid's <laughs> got a future. Uh he threw a goddamn heater through a ballistic window. That's so funny, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh that is uh, a podcast episode. Uh Nate, you can use this uh Space to plug all of the other 20 things that you do
1: yeah not that many but to thank you thank you once again for for listening to this I produce this show I also am the co-host of what a hell of Way to die and I produce kill James Bond and trash future so if any of those podcasts uh, ring a bell check them out and uh, thank you for listening
0: uh everybody thank you so much for listening to the show uh, if you like what we do here consider supporting us uh even a dollar gets a, a lot of stuff like access to our discord you'd get episodes like this before everybody else you get access to bonus episodes and you know you Help keep the show running uh, or don't give us money. It's your money. Do whatever you want. Leave us a review. That is free and it helps us. Uh, I don't entirely sure know how the algorithm works, but I know it works Somehow in mysterious ways. Yeah. Um, this is the only show that I have because this is enough, uh, but consider buying my books. My series, the forlorn hope is complete and out now, and you can get it for free. If you have uh, you know, Amazon or Kindle unlimited, or whatever it's called, or you can just buy it on paperback wherever normal books are sold and you don't have to buy it from Amazon. You can stop asking me that. Uh, And until next time, don't invade Cuba, I guess. Probably a bad idea.
1: Bye.